Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. And Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a couple of seminary profs dig in to study the scriptures. The lectionary text for the upcoming passage is how we choose the passage. And we hope this can be a resource for uh, pastors, teachers, lay leaders, Christians, humans, anyone who wants to dig in to uh, to Christ's word more deeply and to encounter the truths uh, found therein. This is uh, episode 14, according to my reckoning, uh, set for the fifth Sunday of Lent. My special guest this week, first-time guest, is Amanda Jane Drury. Amanda is professor of, uh, associate professor of uh, practical theology and youth ministry for the School of Theology and Ministry at Indiana Wesleyan University, same university as mine, but different department and same town, which is fitting because we live in the same house because she's also my wife and the mother of my children, but happens to also be one of my all-time favorite preachers, fantastic preacher, creative, insightful exegete of the scriptures, and my longest time exegetical partner in the sense of we just geek out on scripture texts all the time. So it was fun to actually do it uh, on air for others. Uh, we hope that you find it as fun as we do. Uh, if you don't, uh, you can let us know, I suppose, but we'll still enjoy it uh, for ourselves at least. And we're going to jump right in. Make sure to uh, subscribe to us on iTunes and write a uh, review, positive review. We'd love it and appreciate it very, very much. Um, with that said, let's jump in. Yeah, so here we are. It's uh, we're doing open and cracking open the uh, passage for the fifth Sunday of Lent. So that's the second to last Sunday of Lent. So not Palm Sunday, but the week before. And in the Revised Common Lectionary for Year C, the text assigned for that day is the Gospel according to Saint John, chapter twelve, verses one through. Eight. So, uh, if you're willing, um, it might be nice if you'd be willing to just read, and sure. then um, I'll listen along, and then after you're done reading, I'll uh, say a prayer, and we'll go from there. All right. Sounds sound good. okay? Yep. Go for it. John 12, verses 1 through 11. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples... Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. 
Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Word of the Lord. (laughs) Thanks be to God. Uh, Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for this day which you have made. We give you thanks for this hour to which we have been sent in the name of your Son, Jesus. We give you thanks for this moment in which you are present by your Spirit in us as we speak and by your Spirit with all those who listen in wherever and whenever they are. God, we ask for the grace to be aware of your presence, that we may be led by your Spirit in the fulfilling of the task set for this hour, which is the wonderful gift of studying the written Word of God, which in this case concerns the living Word of God, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So uh, we usually start with just kind of some observations. We've been experimenting with kind of a three-part structure where we kind of read and pray and then just kind of do some initial observations, take a short break, just take a breath, and then go in a little deeper and chase down bunny trails. So at first here, if we don't, if we ask a lot of questions that we don't immediately answer, that's okay. Because this is kind of, if you can think back to when we were in college together taking Lennox's uh methods of Bible study class and you'd have like the uh, the observations assignment where you just want like three pages of questions that right. you don't answer. Yeah. You remember yeah. that? <laughs> it's kind of that, you know, that just, what am I noticing? What's, what's jumping out at me? And a lot of those will be, we may not follow up on when we start interpreting in the second, in the middle part. So that's a long introduction to me just saying, what do you notice? What jumps out at you here? Um, what catches your eye or your ear today? Yeah, well, if we just start at the at the beginning here, I, I find it interesting to see what details are included here. Mm-hmm. So even this first verse, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. <laughs> I mean, he's just raised him the chapter before. I know. And that seems like an unnecessary detail to add. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oh, the one that Jesus raised, not the Lazarus that he left yeah, right, in the tomb. Right. <laughs> not, not Lazarus who, you know, works at the Gap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This Lazarus. So he just wants to clarify for us, you know, in very strong terms, there is no doubt this is the Lazarus that was raised from the dead. That is kind of bizarre. I, I th- This isn't a... There's a lot of reasons that there might be for that. There is a... It made me think of another observation connected to that is back in this. I never noticed this until today when you said that, because back in 11, um, John chapter 11, second verse, no, first verse. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. (laughs) It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment Hmm. and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So that hasn't happened yet in the story. Yeah. So you have the same thing happening there, but the other way as a foreshadowing. Hmm. Now, of course, I mean, the, 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 the readers, I imagine, would be, even though it's in the past tense, you know, I assume it's because the readers, you know, she's famous. You've heard of her, right? Yeah, yeah. This is that Mary that we'll talk about later. 
Um, which makes you wonder even if, I don't know, who knows what, what, what's behind that. But the, the parallel there was striking to me. Riffing off your observation. You started grinning. Did you just see something or notice something? No, I just liked what you were saying. Oh, thanks for grinning. You're welcome. <laughs> You're, <saying>. You're welcome. <laughs> I do wonder how much time has passed between raising Lazarus from the dead and now. Do we do we have a sense of that? Well, our only clue would be, look at chapter 10, verse 22. Mm-hmm. It said, at that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. And that's wintertime. I think it even says yeah, it was winter. it was winter. However, you know, and then Passover, this is Passover, right? It right, says, right? right. It's six yep. days before Passover. So that's like, you know, March, April. So, um, but then the raising of Lazarus takes place after that winter, the, the, the Feast of Dedication, because he moves to Judea for a while. He's there for a while. They come and ask him. So sometimes pass. I don't think it's the next day, but it's not a... It's certainly not a, a long time. It couldn't be. Here's a short answer to your question. It couldn't be more than three months. It would have to be less yeah. than three months. Yeah. So it's recent. Okay. Okay. Yeah, they made. I love verse two. They made him supper because everybody's doing their <laughs> their shtick, right? Uh huh. Uh huh. So Martha's serving, which we've seen before, not in the book of John, but in the book of Luke. We get the story of Mary and Martha. And Martha's busy serving, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it even fits her character in John because we see her running out to speak to Jesus. Right. Whereas Mary stays back and is weeping. Um, and then we get Lazarus, who's reclining, you know, fits Lazarus. Yeah, yeah. He's always laying down either in the tomb <laughs> or at the table. Dead or alive. Yeah. <laughs> and then Mary coming in is, and is at his feet. Right. Which is exactly right. where we see her in, in Luke chapter 10. Um, And again, these were famous enough characters, it seems, in the early church that I don't even though John doesn't tell that story, I don't even know if he has that story at all in mind. It it can't be a coincidence that they're talking about these similar characters, even though the stories come out very different. Sure, sure. The first part of chapter two always makes me laugh. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. (laughs) You think? (laughs) I mean, it's like they're, thanks, Jesus, for raising Lazarus from the dead. Uh, (laughs) Oh yeah, you know you're right. It's it that that is the last event narrated. Is as he kind of moved in? Is he living down the street? Like, you know, I mean, he's he's not in Galilee anymore. I mean, is this where he would stay? You know, well, and, know. and 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 it seems like so often Bethany is mentioned along with some type of death wish. So he's uh, huh. his life is threatened at the end of this chapter. It's threatened at the end of chapter eleven. Even the start of chapter eleven. When Jesus is saying they're going to go there, uh, the disciples right. say to him, they say, well, the last time you were there, the people wanted to kill you when you want to go back. So it's, it, it mm-hmm. almost looks like this, this not death wish, but um, there seem to be clear connections with Bethany and people wanting to kill Jesus. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, my goodness. This is a dangerous place to be. I mean, right, it's the shorthand, right. right? At least within the world of the story. Yeah. And then, and then poor Thomas, who, you know, we've got the nickname Doubting Thomas. Uh, let us also go that we might die with him. So Thomas is going to Bethany expecting death when in mm. fact life yeah. comes from that. Uh, but of course that's chapter 11. We're on chapter 12. That's okay. You're allowed to do a little of that. Okay, I mean, thanks, you don't John. have to be too bad. <laughs> but we can assume that Thomas is there. We can assume that all the disciples are there. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, just because, I mean, Judas speaks up, uh, you know, so we assume the rest are around. Mm-hmm. Um, so verse three, Mary took a pound of costly ointment of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. 
And the house was filled with the fragrance of the ointment. And if we know anything about Mary and Martha from that other story, we're expecting, you know, Martha to say, you know, to, to, to intervene. What are you doing? You know, like, why are you spilling all this, you know, smell everywhere? <laughs> why is your perfume smell covering the wonderful dinner smell I just made? Yeah, oh, nice. <laughs> but of course she doesn't. I always love that to kind of see Martha's own transformation is, you know, Martha, Martha wasn't, you know, in that famous story from Luke 10, you know, it's Martha, Martha's failure was not serving, you know, it was interrupting Mary's calling. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. So here you see her not, not getting in the way of what Mary's called to do. So Mary and Martha both have very different roles to play mm-hmm. and neither mm-hmm. is meant to interject. Actually, you get Judas be- playing the role that Martha played in the previous story. It, poor, poor Mary's always getting uh, interrupted whenever she... <laughs> It makes me even think of with the Lazarus story in the previous chapter, right? Where he's, uh, he's, yeah. he's, uh, she runs out to meet him and weep and all the, all the Judeans go out with her, right? And follow her thinking, oh, maybe she's going to go weep at the tomb. It's like, this gal can't get a break. Like everyone's always getting up in her, in her space. And, and, and ironically, that's the time when she did want Jesus to interrupt her. You know, here I was great, interrupt, uh, this, this sickness. Yeah. Um, every other time she's, she's getting getting knocked off earlier well she wants jesus to interrupt her yeah yeah. (laughs) judas is sticking his nose in in verse four yeah i do wonder in that in that split second between judas's words and jesus leave her alone what that was like for mary Mm. if if there was shame that immediately came upon her or if she knew she was justified in what she was doing yeah it's funny you mention that because verse six has this interjection you know, from the narrator, right? Yeah, yeah. Judas said that not because he actually cares about the poor, because but because he, you know, um, wants to steal. Okay, but it's interesting where they decide to stick that that delay. It does create a little pause. Mm-hmm, it, it, mm-hmm. It, sometimes those little narrator interjections bug me. You know, like it's like, come on, keep the story going. But here's a case where it almost creates a little pause for what you just pointed out. Which I don't notice when I read it with my eyes, but when I listen to mm-hmm. another person read a text, mm-hmm. I hear things I wouldn't otherwise notice. Right. Yeah. Because it was, it felt like a long wait between his question <laughs> right. and Jesus putting him in his place. Yeah. Which yeah. then raises the question you're asking, which is, what is this like for her? D- does she suddenly think, you know, have I done something wrong? I thought I was doing this beautiful act, you know? Mm-hmm. That's a super good question. I don't know how to get into it. But. I do have to ask. Do we see any other evidence that Judas was stealing money? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I could flip around right now, but... I mean, that, that almost sounds like something that you would add in later to show, no, he really was a bad guy from the very start. Yeah. The bad apple from the beginning. John, I, I will say a, I'll say a statement about, you know, John's gospel has your harshest picture of judas you know Mm -hmm. uses the language of the devil entering him in chapter 12 uh jesus says but one of you is a you know Mm -hmm. one of you is a devil in chapter six first time he's mentioned so i don't know that you do get you do get the vibe that it's like uh yeah i don't know i don't know I'm not, I'm not, this is the only place I'm aware of that says anything about him being, uh, you know, being a crook. Yeah. Um, are you saying he wasn't Mandy? 
Does John also talk about the okay tangent here? Does John also talk about um the the thirty pieces of silver at the end? I'm, I'm just curious mm. about about bags of money in well, Judas and if there's any sure to read oh the money the lines bag there. oh that's good. Well, the 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 suicide story is not in John. You know what I mean? Where he goes yeah, and throws the yeah. money back, okay, and then kills himself. That's not in John. That's in Matthew and Luke. Um, like returning the money. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the, unless you're asking about something different. Is that math? That's not in John, is it? It's definitely not in John. Yeah. Okay. Now in John, once Judas uh, hands him over, uh, he falls off the the scene. Okay. We don't get the follow-up stuff on him. Okay. Um, I don't even know if we get the amount that, uh, that he betrayed him for. I don't even think that's mentioned in uh, in John. I mean, I'm looking at chapter chapter 13. There's no specification. There is about the money bag. There, there's another reference to the money bag, if that's what you're asking. 1329. You know, when he says what you're going to do, do quickly. It says no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought, because Jewish, Judas kept the money bag, that Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast. Hmm. Or so that we should give something to the poor. Right? Hmm. So, okay. um, so there, there is at least one additional confirmation that he's the guy who carried the money bag, um, which is the same, right? Isn't that the exact language here? It is. Yeah. He had the money yeah. box, right? Huh. Yeah. So I mean, we at least John consistently portrays him as the the guy who kept the money bag. Okay. So I've never understood in verse seven. When Jesus says, leave her alone, it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. But it's not the day of his burial right now. I mean, he's still, it it seems like, okay, well, if it was supposed to be saved for the day of his burial, then it should have been, I don't know, saved for the day of his burial when he's, when he's put behind Mm -hmm. the the stone. Yeah. And of course we will see that in John, Mm -hmm. right? They, Mm -hmm. they go and embalm him, Mm -hmm. um, which is one difference is you don't have that embalming scene in the other gospels. Um, whereas like, I mean, I mean, Mark, Mark and Matthew both have it as, you know, she anointed my body beforehand. Right. Right. Whereas John wants to do it with this. No, she's going to keep it. So apparently she doesn't pour it all out. Is maybe one way to interpret that. No. Huh. Right. She poured it on Jesus' feet. Mary took a pound of costly ointment of pure night and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his head. So, I mean, that doesn't mean, you know, she, she might've just taken some of it. Mm-hmm. Right. And then he's saying you shouldn't be holding on to this jar, you know, Right. you should at least sell the rest of it. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. You're asking a question I never have seen before that, that the phrase let her keep it is a little awkward. Yeah. Hmm. You know, let her alone, you know, let her keep it for the day of my burial. The poor you'll always have with you, but you do not always have me. Hmm. And then, you know, you kept reading. <laughs> you you added a couple verses, which was actually okay to kind of highlight what's next. Oh, okay. That's okay. Well, it doesn't matter. The lectionary is not God, you know. <laughs> you can disobey the lectionary and dip into 9 and 10 a little for context. It's not going to hurt. It helps. All right, all helps. Right. Yeah, well, these are some good observations just to get us started. Let's just take a super quick break, take a deep breath, and... Then maybe go in a little deeper and see if we can maybe even answer some of these questions or chase down some bunny trails. Let's do it. Great. We'll be right back. 
and uh, welcome back to Fresh Text. Uh, we want to dig in now a little deeper and explore some of these possibilities. We were already starting to go there when I was... I try really hard to not... When I'm doing a gospel, I try hard not to do the comparison with the other gospels too quick. Sure. Just kind of let John speak for itself. But we already were going there because it's really hard not to because it's really obvious that, you know, this same story appears in all four gospels. Right. But super different yep. in each. Um we don't have to go down that road, but I did want to highlight at least one thing that was helpful to me. I mean, it happens after the anointing happens after the triumphal entry in Mark <laughs> happens before in John. Interesting. Uh, you know, just the first verse, right? In Mark, you've got while he was at Bethany, same town in the house of Simon, the leper, not, <laughs> not, 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 uh, not Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And then Matthew has now when Jesus is Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. So they match. Mm -hmm. And then Luke 7 has, it's not even in the last part of Jesus' life. It's earlier. It's in, during the Galilean ministry. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat at him, eat, eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house. So it's at a Pharisee's house. And then you get this woman, this, this prostitute, which is where the tradition comes yeah, yeah. that Mary of Bethany is the same as Mary Magdalene, who got seven demons out of her, and the same as this prostitute. I just bumped into somebody who was saying that, you know, that someone teased that, you know, that they're that they're named after a hooker or something like that. Her name's Maggie, but her full, full name's Magdalene. Or like, uh -huh. her, it was a joke that someone used to tell. And I was like, Mary Magdalene's not a hooker. <laughs> like, that's that's not true. There are three different these three different people, right? Uh, not that it's wrong to be married after, named after a hooker. It's just, it's this annoyance that these stories get conflated and they have to, cause they sure seem like the same story, but they're happening at different people's houses at different times in Jesus ministry. Yeah. Very frustrating, very delightful. I love the frustration of this. I mean, even that Pharisee's named Simon. <laughs> so in Luke, um, she doesn't get named as Mary in Mark or Matthew. Sorry. I'm just throwing out a bunch of like, problems yeah uh, maybe that's of no value to no. you right now but um i don't know i'll, I'll ask you what do you do with that <laughs> how do you how do you bear with the these seemingly obvious contradictions uh at least just as you're studying a text and uh, i think my mind tends to first go towards some types of some type of harmonization like okay, okay is there a way of reading this that accounts for all of these things okay you know did they all live in a duplex together <laughs> Okay. And that was the thing they did every Friday night. Someone was getting their feet anointed. It happened to be, yeah. Uh, and sometimes that helps me see too, just how how ridiculous it probably is to try to conflate all of them into one. Um, in this particular case, I tend to, for better or worse, move away from details and try to catch the beauty of it, mm. uh, because that that is one thing that all of these stories have in common is is uh, this superfluous act of mm. beauty. Superfluous act of beauty. You're right. All of them. It's all this overflowing extra, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. This pouring out of what's unnecessary. And they're, they're all very sensory, too, sensory-oriented. Mm. I, I was trying to think, do we have any other stories in the gospel that involve as many Sensories is this. Mm. I mean, there, there's the tomb of Lazarus with the smell and the touching and the looking. And but the in a way, this is all the same. I mean, this, it, yeah, in a sense, this yeah. is the same sequence. It at least carries over that same vibe. Right. Right. Doesn't Martha worry about the smell? She does. Right. So it's <laughs> the same kind of. 
Oh yeah, boy, you're right. The New Testament, you know, doesn't often have those kinds of. Uh, don't, don't, you don't get a lot of smell descriptions. You're right. Yeah. In, in some ways, you could recreate this scene uh, easier than than some of the other stories because you've got so many details to to set the to set the scene. I I actually this is reminding me when I was in high school, I heard someone preach on this, and they actually did this. They had a a girl with long hair come up and anoint mm-hmm. someone's feet and dry it with her hair, and it was really weird Mm. uh but you could smell it and see it and and it was jarring and startling what kind Um, of weird well it seemed a little gross okay uh both from the guy who's kind of laughing because it tickles okay uh, but then also uh, jamie i I remember the girl she had this long long blonde hair and and i remember uh being amazed that she could do it all without without laughing or without um but i mean someone's hair on your feet yeah. It just, in some ways it's beautiful. In other ways, it kind of grosses me out at the same sure, time. Sure, sure. And it's, uh, when I read it, I I always wonder, like, given the just the reaction and the vibe, like it has this kind of erotic character to it. Mm-hmm. And, but then when I think of acting it out, it's like, no, it doesn't seem <laughs> erotic at all. But then again, they're giggling. And sometimes, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because it, it is kind of, it is, it is a very intimate act. It's humble. Right. So it's right. down at their feet. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's uh, the contact of hair, yeah. which would have probably been up, uh-huh. um, you know, to let down the hair. And just how low she would have had to bow to the ground in order to do that. You know, it's yeah. not like just kneeling on her feet. And it's, it's. I mean, her head's got to be pretty close to the ground. Yeah, because, I mean, you can almost see, like, Judas's objection. I mean, his explicit objection is about the financial waste, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> um, but I'm sure it was an awkward scene for everybody else to watch. Yeah. Um, and it's, like you say, it's very sensory mm-hmm. and therefore sensual, maybe not erotic, but at least weird, awkward, um, intimate, personal, strange, worshipful. It's a bizarre scene. You know what? This just occurred to me. So even though the the anointing is for Jesus' feet, the perfume is for him, the smell fills the house, mm-hmm. he doesn't take the smell with him. It, it's, it, it stays in the house. Hmm. And uh, and what a blessing it must have been for the family that lived there. That even when we're blessing Jesus, there's this re- residual uh, residual effects, the, the, the scent that, that sticks with us nonetheless. The house and probably Mary was, more than anybody. The house was filled with the fragrance of the ointment. Yeah. Right. Actually, his feet would have been the first thing to lose the smell because <laughs> right. they'd gotten dusty right. first time he walks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that suddenly makes me think about the feet, right? Doesn't Mary fall at his feet um, yes. outside the city? And then doesn't Jesus then, in the next chapter, washes his disciples feet. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's anything to do with that, but um, it's so funny when you said, I don't, I try not to worry about the details in terms of harmonization. I agree. Um, but I, I know I also can't ignore the details when I'm watching one gospel writer as an artist, right. you know, like sure. the details do matter in that sense. Yeah. Maybe not as reconstructing the historical event behind these events. Um, because, yeah, we could try to reconstruct an event that would satisfy all four accounts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and we may end up having to posit more than one event uh, or not. Um, but it, by doing so, we would actually lose the beauty of the story as they tell it. Right. Because right? you would yeah. end up having yeah. to alter details that are, you know, utterly crucial for 
John's theme. I mean, because I don't think the feet business is in Matthew and Mark. No, it's not. He pours it on his head in Mark and Matthew, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where even if you were to like try to solve it, you could actually undermine John's highlighting of the feet, right? This this you know this this uh, this theme of the feet, right? She's falling at his feet, you know. She's washing his feet, wiping his feet, and then he turns around and washes his disciples' feet. I don't know if there's anything even to do with that, but it's at least worth noticing. Yeah, so when you've uh, when you've taught or preached this text in your life mm-hmm. as a preacher and teacher, like um, we won't get into where you might want to preach it new now, but just inter- like what are some of the interpretive um, puzzles you've kind of had to face? I started with one, which is these different stories. You know what sure, I mean? Sure. Where you can get a little stuck, and and it sounds like you just kind of tends to focus on the on the the beauty of the story and focus just on the one gospel, not try to preach all four of them. Just yeah, pick yeah. one. What are some other interpretive puzzles that, that suck you in? Well, where I've gone in the past has been this question of how can the same smell uh, result in two very different reactions? Uh, and, and, and we see that, boy, is it, is it second Corinthians two or first yeah. Corinthians two? The, 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 the fragrance second of life, the smell yeah. of the smell of death, that it's, it's the same scent that to one it's this to another, it's that. And uh, and that always just grabs my attention that it's it's the same smell, just a very different reaction to it. And and, and you don't you don't get to choose which one you're going to smell like to the person. So so my life as a say a living sacrifice to God is is going to smell like death to some people, and I don't want to smell like death. But that's that's what that's. That's what it is. It's it's the same smell, different reaction. And it's going to smell like waste right. to Judas. Right. Um, on the surface, the waste of being able to give to the poor. Mm-hmm. And then the internal motive of a waste of an opportunity for him to make a buck himself. You know, and Jesus, you know, smells something very different. Right? Right. Let her keep it. Let right. her alone. I'll read that. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 and through 16. Um, But thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is competent for these things? For we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, and as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Mm. But yeah, I I see what you're saying, this kind of really playing with the fragrance, which is why like highlighting that, even in your exegesis, the passage is this highly nasal <laughs> I'm just, I don't know the adjective for <laughs> ofacular ofacular story I wonder too if there is a uh, I, I don't think this is in the story at all I think this is reading into it but uh, whether or not this could be used as as an evangelistic type tool because I imagine that smell was still there the next day and someone who wasn't in the house, you know, might mm. might be visiting and, hey, what's that smell? And it's this opportunity. Well, this was where we had Jesus here yesterday and this and that. Mm. Uh, 
No, no, that's really cool. How about this, uh, the pour you'll always have with oh, you? Oh, I business? don't know what to do with that. <laughs> I had a feeling I'd get that reaction out it, of you. Well, it seems like such a cop-out sometimes. It seems like the thing that you want to say to excuse, to do whatever it is you want to do. So are you going to care for the poor? Are you, you can choose whether you want to care for the poor or not care for the poor because you can find biblical support for either one. Yeah. Yeah, this, that always bo- bothers me. Okay, so why. since Jesus said it. Since Jesus said it. <laughs> What are you, how do you, have you, have you found yourself like, I mean, I, I agree with you about the bothering. Um, what are some ways you've kind of like sorted that out or have you not <laughs> just kind of shoot? Cause obviously well, in, in it's some bad ways, ammo, but... Yeah. In some ways it's, it's humbling. Just this acknowledgement that I can't solve the problem of poverty. Hmm. Uh, there's a there's a recognition of my own humanness there as someone who tends to have a bleeding heart for for certain causes and, and passions. Um, so that that would be that would be one angle for me. Uh, also, also just the space that this creates to celebrate as well, hmm. to 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 enjoy life, to celebrate life, um, <laughs> even though it's commemorating death in it. Well, I mean, that's even can be part of it that there can be the wasted. Sometimes there's a place for um, what can seem like wasted cost to do something that's uh, beautiful, something that's worshipful, right? Yeah. I mean, you could say, I mean, like, this is Jesus saying it, so you can't just steal it. That's why I say there's not biblical support for either. Clearly, the entire witness of scripture directs towards the responsibility of the community to care for the poor. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not like, well, there's some text that goes, no, no. there's one text that can be quoted right. out of context right. against right. the entire witness of scripture. Yeah. So sorry to push back, but I mean, I don't think it's a even, it's not like a, <laughs> you know, well, <laughs> um, I think it's definitely more of a, but there is some, there is a truth here and there's a pushback on, Judas, and this is another thing about where comparing can help, because, I mean, um, you know, uh, in Matthew, it's the disciples saw it and were indignant. Mm -hmm. Why wasn't this used for the poor? Mm -hmm. Right? So Mm -hmm. it's not, you know, Judas, as is often the case in the Gospel of John, what a group does, you see one person doing in John. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you, you you get Nicodemus rather than the Pharisees doing stuff. You get Nicodemus doing something, right? You, yeah. Instead of all these stories of prostitutes getting saved, you get this one woman at the well, right? Like it's, yeah. John's style is to personalize what is generalized in the other gospels. So I mentioned that stylistically to say like, don't get get yourself off the hook too quickly by saying it's Judas, right? <laughs> like, right. Any follower of Jesus can be tempted by this line of thought. Yeah. That, like I say, it's playing the part of Martha here. It's saying it's this kind of self-righteous claim that any any expense that you don't get <laughs> that doesn't make sense to you right. is a waste and right. should be spent on the poor. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I mean, I remember hearing someone talk about, like, why do we have, you know, big buildings for worship? <laughs> right. We should sell those and give it to the poor, which I think is a good thing to say. I mean, especially if it's like, you're the one on the budget committee. Like, if you're just saying that about other people, it's kind of, <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, are you actually saying, what are we willing to do um, to uh, to sacrifice and give? But uh, but 
you know, we usually aren't willing to say that about the things that make sense to us that seem like a worthwhile expense. Do you know what I mean? Right. We only say it for stuff that doesn't make sense to us. Like, yeah. why is she doing this? It makes no sense. It's a waste of time. Just like when she was younger, a year earlier, it seemed like a waste of time for her to be sitting and listening to the disciples since she's never going to get to be a rabbi. Mm-hmm. Since she's a girl. Mm-hmm. Why isn't she in here helping me? It's the same. It's the same kind of interruption of what doesn't make sense to me. I feel like I have some kind of moral responsibility to cut off and say what you should be doing is spending that money on the poor. Right. Um, and I mean, Jesus has a strong limitation following on your statement of I can't because you, you kind of resonate with it. You're kind of like, yeah, I can't solve poverty alone. Right. Uh, in this life. Right. It's that doesn't mean I don't have the moral responsibility. Right. I do. Right. But at the same time, um, Jesus is kind of setting this limit saying, yeah, but don't use that as a self-righteous criticism of how other people are perhaps called to engage in what seems very strange and wasteful to you. Is that making sense? Yeah, it does. It does yeah. make sense. You're right. It's a cop out. I think if we use it for ourselves, <laughs> but if, we, if we can hear it as Jesus, if we put our posi- self in the position of Judas mm-hmm. and hear Jesus calling us out when we self-righteously criticize the expense of others, I think it might have more moral usefulness sure then if we just put ourselves in the position where i'm married and i can spend all i want you know because yeah, yeah. uh, you know the, the poor will always be with me so we might as well buy a three thousand dollar guitar because it's great for worship songs you know like, yeah, yeah. that can be a self-justification you know for waste but okay so maybe this is obvious but if they have a money bag and he's saying you know why why wasn't this used for the poor I guess it hadn't occurred to me that, well, sure, Jesus and the disciples are probably caring for the poor all yeah. along the way. They probably have a money bag that uh-huh. they're using, that they're talking about, trying to discern where to spend the money, yeah. where they're going to help the poor. And uh, and maybe that's just the norm, and this is the anomaly from that. I think so. I think that's the way to take it. That didn't occur to me now till now either. Right, but it would make sense that, you know, because people would come and probably give Jesus money. Yeah. Because he was poor. Yeah. And they would collect it up and turn around and give most of it away, probably. You know? Right. That seems to fit mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the lifestyle that they led. That's a good insight. And it helps to counterweight again. It helps to interpret this moment as, no, 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 Judas, not this time. You know? Because um, probably they spent a lot of, they probably went over to a lot of rich people's houses and left <laughs> with a bunch of stuff that they gave yeah. away, right? Yeah. Doesn't that, yeah. that's the vibe you get. Yep. Yeah. This kind of Franciscan kind of, <laughs> these people, if they're around Jesus, they're going to start feeling guilty and they're going to want to give <laughs> here, take all this wealth. You Three know. times the amount. I, that's a beautiful insight to say this, this story has probably happened many times. And Judas is the one who would have, you know, been the one who'd go out and sell it and yeah. get the money for it. Tell them. And that's why it makes sense that he would tell them, yeah, I got 80 bucks for it, but he actually got 90 for it uh-huh, uh-huh. and put 10 away. <laughs> Because when he was off selling it, because, you know, when later when he sends them off, that doesn't seem strange to them. They're used to Jesus sending Judas off mm-hmm. to do things mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. town. So maybe he would go quick, spend those $10, you know, hit yeah, the tavern. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. <laughs> Without turning in the receipts afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I the receipts. Yeah, I'm not sure they're running a complex nonprofit organization here, but but at least the idea that, that you know, that even helps to make sense of why it would be. You know, you could think of it as all the disciples saying it just as well as Judas is that this would be the norm. Is. Yeah. And you could even see Jesus saying that, couldn't you? Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Sell it and give it to the poor. That's like, right? Yeah. yeah Don't waste yeah, it on me. Yeah. One thing you lack, sell all you have and give it to right, the poor. This right. is the kind of thing Jesus says. Yeah. So it's another case of Jesus surprising us that his instruction 
keeping us from coming up with formulas on how to serve uh, Jesus. Darn it. But that's what I want to do. <laughs> I want to make it easy or at least make the hardness clear. Right. Some, you know, make the hardness, uh, uh, predictable, safe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, with that thought, let's take a short break and come back and kind of think where we might go with this as a sermon. I mean, we're already starting to go there, but let's kind of pick an angle and see where it, see where it goes. So we'll be right back. So, uh, what's your, what's your angle? What's your, what's your winkle we've been calling it? Like, you know, when you're preaching a sermon, you've got all these bunny trails and they're all great. Right. But Mm -hmm. where'd be your, where do you think you'd focus? You hit a couple different things. Which one do you think you would kind of run with and let's start playing with that sermon? See what, see what emerges. All right. Let me just process this out loud here. So if I were working on this sermon, I would probably go through this story multiple times from different perspectives. Mm Mm-hmm. So, so I'd be asking myself this question, okay, what is a sermon going to look like if I preach it from, from Mary's perspective, uh, mm. from, from a disciple's perspective? Boy, what if I was Martha in this story watching all this take place? Am I, <laughs> am I wondering if my gifts are being compared to her? Uh, how, how do you enjoy someone else's gifts um, when you're yeah. wondering perhaps if yours measure up? So, so, uh, so I, don't, I, I don't know where I would land at this point, but that would definitely be where I would start with this sermon is just trying okay. to see all the different angles and in your experience as a preacher do you often find that there's one particular perspective that you kind of tend to adopt and run with to give it focus or sometimes you run it from all the angles you know i I, I can see in a bible study context i'd probably run it from all the angles yeah because there'd be a conversation and different people i could see in a sermon you'd more want to kind of like pick one maybe (laughs) no because i've heard you preach on people where you're like kind of adopt thomas's perspective and run with that right normally what i do is I keep keep at it from different angles until I'm able to narrow it down to a question mm-hmm. that I can't answer that I'm actually curious about. <laughs> it's so easy for pastors to to mention questions that either the answer is obvious or right. no one really cares what the answer is. So so if you can find that compelling question that's going to have everyone going, oh yeah, mm. but what does that look like? How do you do that? Uh, that's that's my general mo. Yeah, so I know I know you're not there yet now, but what what's emerging though? What, if you if you had a hunch, you know, mm-hmm. th- think back, uh, Mando, to when you were, uh, uh, you know, youth pastor and preaching every week. <laughs> so you had <laughs> you had to have something, right? Yes, yes, and, yes. You know, it's time, right? And this right. is the time you set aside for it. Like, where do you think you'd? Uh, of course, that's before we had kids, so you just would work on it all evening if it didn't come in the, during the time. But if this was your little hour uh-huh, study you had uh-huh. set aside and you had a million other things going on, worse yet, when you're preaching at the big house on Sunday morning on top of all your youth ministry right. responsibilities, right. like this is the hour you have. Like, is there one character you resonate with the most? Is there a question that's starting to stir in you? I know I'm putting putting you on the spot, sure. but hey, you know, it's fresh tax, baby. Like, see what we can do in an hour, you know? I think... I think the the question I would land on if I had to do something mm-hmm. right now would be the question, what do you give to the person who has everything? <laughs> See, that's good. Yeah, that'll, that'll That gets work. my that'll attention. Work. Okay, okay. <laughs> You've got my attention now. I mean, and, and that was clear. Even, <sighs> even in, in verse chapter two, when I was laughing about they gave a dinner in his honor. Well, duh, of course. I mean, yeah. obviously a, a dinner is not going to make up for, hey, you brought my brother back to life. 
and even perfume doesn't either. But 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 that doesn't mean we don't try, even though even though we don't. And that there have, can be discernment between good, better, and best. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and and we're not giving these gifts to try to make up for something or to try to equal yeah. something, but but just as an expression of of love of gratitude. Um, and maybe this is even where the poor question can come up. You say, you know what? Nine times out of ten, what do you give to the person uh, who? What was the? How did you ask it? What do you give to the person who has everything? What do you give to the person who has everything? Well, I mean, this is me now riffing off your idea. Well, you look at you. You look at what kind of person he is Mm -hmm. and he's the one who in having everything gives it all away. Mm -hmm. So what does it mean to give it all away? And nine times out of the 10, it means you don't give him anything. You sell it and give it to the poor. Right. 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 But one out of 10 times, or you could say one out of seven days a week. I mean, this could be about worship if you wanted just to say that there, you know, or one hour of the day, there's the time when you just, Throw it at God, knowing it doesn't add at all to yep. his glory, but you yep. do it anyway because it fits. It's fitting. This is the way that Thomas would put it. What You know, Thomas Aquinas, right? He doesn't ask what's necessary. In a sense, nothing's necessary. Nothing necessary for God. Right. Because God is utterly free. And there's nothing necessary for us because God has already done it all for us. So the question is, what is fitting? Yeah. Right. What fits this man? And this man who has everything gives it all away. So what does it mean to waste and give away the way he did? And Mm -hmm. and she's Mm -hmm. demonstrating Mm -hmm. that she gets his mission, even if only in the body and intuitively, she gets that his mission is to die. Her action does, even if she doesn't get it in her head, you know, and, and his death is the biggest gift of all, not just the giving to the poor, which he says the poor will always have with you. In other words, you will have more than enough chance to follow my commandment to care for the poor. He doesn't release yeah. us from that commandment. He's just saying there are these, there's this crucial time here where I am, I am here to die, you know, not just to raise money for the poor for a day and to raise again tomorrow. Yeah. I'm here to die for the sins of the world. And somehow she gets that without getting it. She gets mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Is this making sense? Oh, yeah, yeah, that does make sense. I'm all just riffing off your idea. I love that question. Well, and, and I, w- I would probably use uh, my imagination to wonder uh, what it was like for Mary between the, the resurrection of Lazarus and Jesus coming to her house, that, that time span where she's going, what can I give Jesus? Well, maybe she's going through things maybe in her, in her head. This. Like uh, a yeah. new pair of sandals. No, he'll just give that away. Well, how about that? Oh, he could just give that away. Uh, she gives him the one thing that he can't, that he can't give away in a sense. Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm reminded. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. So I'm reminded of, <laughs> of Karen Aduba. Okay? okay. So, so the secretary of the church that I used to work at and she was just known for giving everything away and I could not give her anything that she would keep for herself. Wow. So, um, what do you give someone? Yeah. Who, so, who doesn't need anything? It's right. Maybe the, it's right. not just that he has everything. Yeah. She didn't have everything, but she doesn't need anything. And She's, so I would, I would bring her something. Wow. She'd give it to her daughter. I'd give her an Amazon gift card and she'd give that to her son. And, and I finally decided, uh, she loves vegetables. And so I came to her office on her birthday with a large thing of broccoli with a bow tied around it because I knew no one else would take it from her. <laughs> it was the one thing her children were not going to steal, and she was she was thrilled with it. But um, yeah, that, that's just more of a, a funny tangent there. Well, you're Jesus of... in that story. Is that what you just? <laughs> so, I'm Jesus in that story. No, no, no actually, you're right. I'm no, she's Mary. Jesus. I'm you're Mary. Yeah, oh, yeah, you're yeah. Saint Mary. And I wash, I wash the broccoli with my hair. <laughs> No, it's beautiful though. Like the, the, you know, the discernment and and it's a fun paint picture to paint. This totally sounds like a Mandy sermon, right? Where you really imaginatively explore Mm -hmm. her inner life even, 
Because you kind of get the vibe she's been planning this. <laughs> right? Like, it's kind of like, is there oh, chance, yeah. <laughs> is there any chance she would have had that perfume for Lazarus' death? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Uh, mm, uh, mm. I mean, it prob- if, she, oh, if she did, that's it, good. If she did, it probably would have been used because the tomb was already sealed up. Well, but you would re... Uh, sorry, this geek out moment. Go, geek away. But like... Uh, in the ancient world, the standard practice was to, you put someone in a tomb, the reason why I would have a stone that you could get off and on is you would go and re-anoint them every mm-hmm. so often. Oh. Um, I don't know how long, a couple months, until or years, I can't even remember how long, until the body fully decomposes. Then you collect the bones. Really? Right. Oh. So you're let you're wanting it to decompose so that you can huh. so that it can get to bones, and then you put the bones in an ossuary. So if you've ever seen an ossuary, one of those yeah, tiny yeah, tombs, yeah. or those tiny... Uh, not tombs, tiny, uh, tiny, what are you, uh, caskets. Yeah. They're not for children, though. They're yeah. tiny little three-foot caskets that you put bones in. Um, so that that's what, yeah, and then like Jacob's bones being yeah. carried, because yeah. then bones can be sure. something that doesn't stink Let and you could have in your house. Right, but then that becomes something you could then take home to, to after years. If you die years. before me, I will do this thank for you, you Thank you, thank you. Well, this is not the current practice. But <laughs> but in terms of burial practice in, in the Middle Eastern world, this okay. is exactly what they so, would so do. So maybe she's looking at this perfume going, I have no purpose for this now. Oh, uh, this- that's cool. Because they, they may have bought it when he died, mm-hmm. right? They went out and got it. Mm-hmm. That's brilliant, babe. That's awesome. So it's like the leftovers from... from uh, the, the, the excess. So the excess that you're talking about in her worship mm-hmm, mm-hmm. flows from the excess of Christ's own miraculous gift. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. By his intervention in her life in their family's life, yes. their family now has this excess yes. and it's out of the surplus that we then throw back what is totally superfluous mm-hmm. to him. I mean, superfluidity is the kind of theological theme in this sermon that we're crafting right now. And you were teasing me for using olfactory. Well, I just don't know how to say it. <laughs> I'm all about big words. <laughs> Do you know how to say olfactory? I don't even know how to say it. <laughs> the spaghetti olfactory. <laughs> Cut that part. What? No way. Yeah. Leave it in. <laughs> Leave it in. Leave it in. <laughs> Oh, I shouldn't yell like that because I'm sure it messes up the levels. Sorry. <laughs> Leave it in. Well, I don't know. I think that's I think that's pretty good. I mean, sometimes, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm just with you and we've done this so many times. Uh, it's so fun to actually do it. Normally in the car. And with lots of interruptions yes. from children. And so it, it spreads over. It's fun to actually do it and like... S- Within in one hour, uh-huh. and I can be a jerk and force you to like land on something because you yeah, normally yeah. normally it's left <laughs> wide open and you go off and work on it and yeah. I don't interfere anymore. <laughs> but it also often when we, do, I mean, we've been going back and forth with fresh texts. Do you do we both have a sermon idea or do we just kind of one that we work on mm-hmm. together for a while? Um, I actually have been interested in moving more towards the latter, like just playing with one, but it's very fitting that we would do that because that's what we're used to doing, which is you're the one who's about to preach. And all I like is the geeking out about the text. I don't really like preaching. I like to prep. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, why yeah, I started yeah. this podcast because yeah. I can, I can help everyone else prep <laughs> for the rest, you know, as long as they're interested without ever having to bother to preach. It's great. It's like, woohoo! <laughs> I'm weird that way, but, but I just feel like that's such a, beautiful direction that question and it's even just helpful homiletical advice for our listeners that sometimes what you need is a question not a thesis you know i'm usually looking for my thesis statement 
I remember that happened last time I preached at chapel just a couple months ago. I kept looking for that hook. You were even asking me, did you find yeah. your hook? Cause yeah. you know, that's how I, te- how I write. And that one just kind of never found the hook. The hook became the question. The yeah. question was the hook. Yeah. And that's the, the thought I'm having today, just in terms of like a meta comment about homiletics. Sure. Sometimes your hook is the question. Yes. What's the question that really drives you? And that will draw in your people. And that will, gi- that will give you enough to stay focused in a sermon. Uh, yeah, I, I think... I think the deepest spiritual formation comes about through asking the right question, not mm. not not finding the right answer. And ironically, in this case, that actually fits back to the sermon itself, is in many ways she was asking the right question. Yeah. What can I give yeah. this one who clearly has everything, has life itself? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What superfluous act can I engage in? Even recognizing the superfluidity of it gives her an insight into how to worship well. Yeah. You know, and it's precisely the lack of attunement to superfluidity that Judas misses, which is why he's robbing from the, right? He's worried about every little penny Mm -hmm. and that, and he misses the gift of it all. He does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fun. I think I had a, I think I had a poem and we should wrap up, but uh, let's see if I can, uh, find it or if I lost it I know I had one. Oh well you want me to google a poem yeah google a poem <laughs> see that's what I did last week okay. uh, with with Lenny um, I bumped into a, a George Herbert poem okay I just typed in poem repentance uh-huh. and this great George Herbert poem I knew the poem I just had forgotten about it um, yeah I mean like uh, I guess that's worth uh, you know mentioning even to our uh, listeners that you sometimes just uh, find things. You just go looking and you see what you find. A poem by Larry Linville. See that? Is it that, good? I, I don't know. It's kind of dangerous <laughs> for me to just read something. <laughs> I'll read the last poem. Is it lines. good? No. No, it's bad. All right, bad poem. We're ending on a bad poem this week. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have said the name. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Larry. <laughs> we have to have you back on Fresh Tags. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm just going to read the last the last four lines. Mary's great service of Jesus brought joy. It should cause each of us to think. Is our work in the kingdom producing sweet smells? Or like Judas, do we just rise a stink? I'm going to do it without laughing. <laughs> that is pretty bad. Sorry, Larry. I know you're trying. You probably wrote that with great faith, but, you know, alas. (laughs) Okay. Oh, man. Well, (laughs) you've you've wasted another good hour with with fresh text, studying the word. Maybe, you know what? Maybe this is a little reminder. You don't have to end every sermon with a poem. Not every sermon has to have three points. Not every sermon has to have a poem. <laughs> but with that said, uh, we thank you all for uh, chiming in. And uh, we hope you uh, have found something edifying and educational and enjoyable about this time uh, together. I just want to thank uh, Eric Fisher, our producer, for all the great work he does. Uh, for Tom Adamson and uh, donating his music to the podcast. And uh, my biggest... Uh, Thank you is to Mandy for being our guest this week. Thank you, Much John. appreciated. I hope you uh, had enough fun and would be consider yeah. coming back this sometime. Was, this was fun. It's nice yeah. to talk without children. <laughs> well, this is kind of doing the office during the day, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you got anything to plug? This will be dropping, you know, uh, sometime 
in later March? Anything coming up, like April, May? Anything you want to announce? Uh, book coming out? Anything happening on I, well, I social media? I do have media? a book of trauma and testimony, but it's still at the publisher. Still the publisher. Still the publishers. So. You know, uh, actually, this spring, early summer, we launched the Imaginarium. Okay. Which is a million dollar grant, 1.1 million dollar yeah, grant. Yeah, there you go. Uh, having to do with youth ministry and innovation, looking at looking at innovative ways of doing spiritual formation, and we'll be partnering with twelve churches, and we're not we're not looking for churches to partner with at this point, but uh, we're we're playing around with some really interesting discipleship tools that we'll be eager to plug and and try out on some people in the future. So in the coming months, years, keep an eye out for the phrase Imaginarium, Imaginarium connected to Amanda Indiana Drury Wesleyan. and Indiana Wesleyan University. Um, yeah, yes, is that the biggest it. thing to keep an eye out for? There you go. Awesome. Okay, well, uh, thanks so much for spending this hour with us, and thanks to you, our listeners. And we say to you, have a good preach, and have a great week. Bye. Bye.